Disclaimer, the following presentation is for mature audiences only. It contains adult themes, dialogue and visual representations of true crime and murder scenes. Discretion is advised. Quote from the Boston Globe February 24, 1901. Silent, stealthy, mysterious, the thing goes out into the night and back again to its lair, like a beast of the jungle that prowls and preys by night, and, gorged and hidden, bears not and cares not for the hue and cry by day. The terror of the invisible, the tragic, baffling, secrecy of a scourge, are about the thing, and it is the diabolical master and the deadly hunter of the hill, it is a mystery of mysteries. It was the winter of 1900 and Denver police had bigger problems than the sensational articles and headlines in the news of the day. Women were being attacked while walking alone on Capitol Hill and the surrounding areas, their heads being bashed in with an iron rod or wooden baton, by someone the media labeled a deranged fiend. It would be Christmas soon and five separate attacks had left one woman dead, four seriously wounded, some left in a horrific state. People were shocked and scared by the crimes and police had no idea what was going on. A man is thought to be behind the attacks and one that seemed to prey on women as they walked alone at night. He was not robbing them, nor sexually assaulting them. Nobody could work out why he would be hunting for innocent prey, walking alone, bashing their heads in and not having any motive. The Ripper of London was not too long ago, as the newspapers of the day reminded the reader frequently and it had the nation scared. They knew the Ripper had never been caught. There is no telling if the attacker had any intention to kill specifically, or if he just had a problem with women but the attacks went on past Christmas. A short side note here is that police of the day were overwhelmed with crime in the R, many people were being attacked, robbed and much worse, not only in Denver. If anything we can see that it was clearly a time where people were just starting to figure out how to get along with each other, and not let petty things come between them. Having said that, more attacks likely happen than will ever be known, because they would be lost in the files or unreported completely. The general public didn't know who to trust, nor who they could turn to for guidance and support. By 1901 the attacks on women that fit the same profile of being bashed in the head with a heavy weapon had reached the double figures. This would result in more deaths and many more serious injuries. There was no real connection between the women, aged between 16 to 46 and there will probably be no conclusion of the case to this day, it remains a mystery. We start at the beginning with a sequence of crimes that eventually were attributed to the Capitol Hill thug. 1. August 24, 1900, Elva Jessup, age 28. Jessup was on her way home from a service at the nearby synagogue. She was attacked a few doors down from her home when a man burst out from a dark enclosure and hit her in the head with a pipe or a club. 2. August 24, 1900, Lillian Bell, Martin, age 45, on the same night, the thug struck again, this time fatally. Bell was walking in an alley about two minutes away from where the first attack occurred. She died from her injuries a few days later. 3. September 24, 1900, Emma Carlson, age 23, Carlson worked as a live-in maid and she was walking home from church in the evening when she heard something behind her. Turning, she caught a glimpse of the attacker as she was hit hard in the forehead by his club or pipe. She stumbled to a nearby house, was led inside, and related a description of her attacker before falling to the floor. 4. October 5, 1900, Annie McAtee, age 26, 23 blocks away from the other attacks, the assailant struck McAtee as she was walking near her house. The thug attracted much more notice after this crime, because the victim's brother was a wealthy businessman who took his outrage to the newspapers. 
5. December 22, 1900. Mrs. Duart Young, age unknown, Mrs. Young was attacked on the street near her home, sustaining a hit to the head which required medical treatment. 6. January 6, 1901. Julia Dorr, age 46, Dorr was walking to a building where she worked as a housekeeper. She was bashed in the head and thrown into a pit at a nearby construction site. 7. February 16, 1901. Marie Fraser, age unknown, Frazier had left her hairdressers and appeared at the doorstep of her parents' house, her face smeared with blood and dirt, lapsing in and out of consciousness. She could not remember where she had been knocked down. 8. February 16, 1901, that same night, another attack may have been averted. Miss Everest, age 16, was walking home from her job at a dressmaking shop when she noticed that a man was following her. She stopped to let him pass. He stopped also. She walked fast, then ran, and he pursued her. She turned and he ran down an alley to cut her off, but she ducked into a house where she was taken in by the people there. Miss Everest provided the most detailed description yet of the attacker. 9. February 22, 1901. In the space of one hour, three women were attacked. Mary Short, age 40, she was found unconscious in a vacant lot and died later of a skull fracture. 10. February 22, 1901. Emma Johnson, age 30, on her way home from church, Johnson was attacked. She worked as a servant for a doctor who lived nearby and she managed to stumble to his home. From the three attacks that night, she was the only victim to survive. 11. February 22, 1901, Josephine Unturnerer, age 36, not far from the previous attack, Unturnerer was hit hard behind her right ear, where she suffered a long gash that required surgery. She described her attacker, who had chased her before catching her. A few days later, she died from her injuries. Three days later, the police went on a huge sweep of the neighborhood. They conducted a mass arrest of laborers, street people, boarding house residents, and just about anyone they could find on the edge of society. They detained many of these usual suspects for an extended period of time without charges. The description of the attacker, according to one or more of the victims, dash. Attacker is a small man, sometimes said to be a medium-sized man, with a very white complexion, a large, prominent nose, a medium build, with a black droopy mustache, wild, blue eyes and was wearing a long, gray ulster coat and a crush hat. Many witnesses described a police uniform being seen as very similar to that of the attacker and some would say the weapon used was very much like the truncheon of the day. Due to the description being pretty common in men of the time, despite the police uniform idea being brushed aside, this led to multiple arrests of innocent men all over the area. The police were going after the scrawny, weak and sickly-looking men, usually poor and having a mustache, the clothes of the person didn't matter to them and investigation went on for a long time. The police did not dare question the richer, more powerful men in the area and while raiding another boarding house a certain, Al Cowan came to be on the police radar. He was dirt poor, a laborer in the area for work, just a regular man looking to enhance his life. He was noted to look more like a beggar man than a policeman but the local police were sure they had their man. There was a witness called Albert Frederick who identified Cowan as the man who ran by him shortly after the attack on Mary Short. Upon further interrogation, Albert was deemed to be credible enough to the police to be graded the status of star witness. The police were obviously ignoring the part that the attacker was dressed and acted like a police officer irrelevant to the investigation. And the witness was sticking to his story, having been told he should go by the admin in a doctor's surgery or hospital, 
when overhearing what he believed to be the truth about the slugger, as Cowan soon became known to be. I want to remind you that Al doesn't fit the physical description of the attacker, nor did he have the clothing, nor physique, of a much wealthier and healthier man, such as that of a policeman. The night he was rounded up was towards the end of the investigation and in a group of about 15 others, where again, he was picked out as being the guy by the star witness, Albert Frederick. So the police have the right guy, right? As soon as Al Cowan's name was attached to the guy thought to be the slugger himself, that Captain Armstrong of Denver police almost made up his own mind as to what occurred. He was so sure he got his man, while from the prison, Al Cowan began to give interviews and the media was siding with him, he admitted he thought women hated him but that he did not hate women. He likely believed that his lack of money kept him wifeless for his life as far as reports go, he stayed single. He was a man not emotionally, mentally, or physically able to do this. Captain Armstrong was sure and so a court date was set. Even with the media highlighting that Cowan should be released and Albert Frederick was an unreliable source of information, who simply wanted to blame Cowan and received the reward of around $500. March 24, assuming 1901 but could be 1903, to be in the press again two years later seems unlikely otherwise, dash April 2, 1901-3 The court battle ensued. Despite the testimony of several surviving victims, Albert Frederick, Al Cowan, some other witness reports and the police reports, Al Cowan, age and date of birth unknown, was found to be insane and after this was sent to the local mental institution or hospital for treatment and rehabilitation. He languished in confinement for a total of six weeks and two days when further attacks on women, led to his immediate release. After his release there were more attacks too. At this stage, still having nobody in custody for the crimes, the police are believed to be gunning for whoever was responsible. Men, fathers, brothers and spouses took to the streets themselves in packs or mob gangs to seek out justice of their own. Police knew they had to act and tried to re-arrest Al Cowan who was found to be fast asleep when they arrived at his boarding house, so embarrassed they had to leave finally understanding Al was not the man they were looking for. They no doubt saw Al Cowan, now in his feeble and tired state and thought better than to bother dragging him in, they just knew this was not the guy who did this. He certainly was not the kind to disguise himself as a policeman and be able to bash women heads in late at night while they are walking alone. He was no woman hater, he wanted to improve his life. After this further humiliation, it is said that he moved to Colorado to work in the mines there, or if he couldn't do that he was going to live in a place called Cripple Creek. He was never heard from again. The attacks continued into the summer then faded into a cold case and mystery. Captain Armstrong, the policeman in charge, got promoted anyway, to chief of police. The real Capitol Hill slugger was never found. Albert Frederick was actually chased out of town by locals who hated him for blaming Al Cowan, a reporter gave him money to travel as far east as possible. What do you think? Was Al guilty, or was it someone else? We don't even know the full amount of attacks either, so this mystery, will never be solved.